Hi, I'm Andre the Beast Creighton, and welcome to another segment of the Andre the Beast Creighton Show with my co-host, Jordan, and our great celebrity guest should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Mr. Dallas Williams. Dallas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, Dallas, you got a great, interesting story. Um, naturally, the show is about beasts, uh, being a beast, uh, moving forward, taking positives into um, keeping everything positive and getting rid of the negativity. And you came right out of high school, out of Brooklyn, into the major leagues. What was that like? Well, actually, I when I was after I was drafted, you have to go through the minor league. So I okay. persevered in the minor leagues for six seasons before I got a chance to go to the big leagues. So okay. going through the minor leagues was my kind of my college days. So that's how you go through the process of uh, trying to reach the major league. Some guys are lucky to get there earlier than others. So the minor league, what team was it? Well, about seven of them. You want me to name them all? <laughs> if you can, yeah. Well, I started with Bluefield, Bluefield Orioles, and I went to Miami, okay. Charlotte, Rochester, and then I got to Baltimore after that. Um, what was the what was the what was the most impacted part of that journey with the uh, minors before you got there that you remember? Well, just the whole process of of uh, you know going through the minor leagues. You had all kind of different cultures that you had to deal with, uh, different situations. I was in Bluefield, West Virginia, and that wasn't. <laughs> You know, one of the hippest places to be in 1976. <laughs> but you know, uh, going through the the you know the the hardships of minor league baseball was a challenge in itself. So I just did what everyone else did, just did my best to try to get to the big leagues. What was it like growing up in Brooklyn? You know, stickball. Absolutely, the greatest city in the world, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I had I've had a lot of a lot of memories, fond memories of of New York. Haven't been back there in a while, but. Certain relatives are still there, so we, we think about New York a lot. The greatest city in the world? Absolutely. You sure it's not Indianapolis, Indiana? Well, sorry, Indiana, <laughs> no, but no. <laughs> no. So you was a, you played stickball and stuff, and you mentioned about your grandfather being a major impact on you because you got started by watching baseball with your grandfather. Take me down that road. Yes, well, um, we had one TV in the house, as you uh, I know. might remember, I remember those days. Black and, and white. Up, and my, my, my family was, I grew up in a family of 10, 10 brothers and sisters. Well, we, so had, wow. we had 15. It was, it was oh, really? Okay, 15, so yeah. It was 12 of us plus my grandfather <laughs> in, in a... In the in the Kiwanis projects in Brooklyn, New York, so we didn't get too many chances of uh, watching what we wanted to watch. So my grandfather kind of was the matriarch of the of the house, and he wanted to watch baseball, and that's how we got interested. My brother and well, a couple of my brothers and my uh, sisters, as a matter of fact, enjoyed watching the Mets many times. <laughs> so with that said. Um, what was it really like growing up in there playing stickball? Did you have idols that you you know, idolized back then? Yeah, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, we were playing stickball in uh, in the middle of the street where you played and used the Suez bases, two bases, second base, third base, and all the way back home. And we're playing, and uh, a car pulls up and out jumps Willie Mays. Wow. And plays stickball with us for wow. about 20 minutes. So that was that was a great impact on me. And uh, obviously watching him and watching him be one of the greatest baseball players that ever lived, uh, that was a, a big impact on my on my baseball career. It made me want to 
push to get as high as he did. Did he share any any knowledge with you or any motivational speak, speeches to you guys? No, I, I can't remember him doing that. But I, all I can remember is to say, just play your best and, and work hard and and try to try to reach your goals every day. So that's what that's the way I lived and and tried to do that. What did you have to do to top out other people? Well, I mean, I, I guess talent has a lot to do with it. So you, I, I was. Uh, Fortunate enough to be around some good teachers in my in my um, adolescent years. Uh, my brother, who's passed on now, was a was a baseball player as well, and he he was a big influence on my life as well. So he really stayed on me and who did he and play made sure for? He, he he was just an amateur player, played in high school, boys okay. high school. Um, he was a big impact to uh you know to allow me to get to the places where I had to go. He took me to a lot of the places. So I would say. That was one of the biggest things that I, you know, remember is him pushing me that way. Hmm. You got a question? No. Um, tell me about the Cincinnati Reds. Okay, well, I was traded to the uh, Reds from the Orioles in 1982. And I spent actually 80, the 82 season and the 83 season here in Indianapolis for the Indians and went up to Cincinnati towards the end of the season didn't spend that much time there, but uh, got to play with Johnny Bench and and um, a couple other good guys, Nick Kosaski and and uh, Ron Oster, guys that I you know right, that I talked to today. So let's go back. Let's talk about Johnny Bench. You well, know things that we don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, all, all I know is that he's all I know is he's a great ba- he was a great baseball player and uh, that other stuff, you know. But I tell you what, um, he was a great teammate. Um, took the time to talk to you and and, and uh, answer any questions you might have had for him. Uh, he was always there for the guys, and that's what I remember. And, and I'm sure the same the same uh, feelings are felt by the guys that played with him. Mm. So um, you was with the Orioles. Yes, that was my first team uh, that I got to the biggest with. And my the manager I played for was Earl Weaver. I don't know if you remember that name, but um, one of the greatest managers that, that ever managed in baseball. So. Brooks Robinson, Frank, Frank Robinson was around. They were coaches when I was uh, coming up, and um, I had a I had a lot of uh, dealings with those guys. Eddie Murray, oh yeah, uh, Jim yeah. Palmer. Okay, so I, I I was around some pretty good people. Now, what position did you actually play? Did you play several positions? I played all three outfield positions. Wow, you're that yeah. good. Yeah, well, I was fast. So, is that considered the Cy Young winner or something like that? No, not what, what's the outfield no. award? Outfield would be MVP. There's no Cy Young. Cy Young for pitching. So and there's no there's no Willie Mays Award for the best outfield or anything like that. But have you gotten yeah. close to getting that MVP? I got the MVP twice in AAA though, not in the big leagues. <laughs> <laughs> I would have had a lot more longer career in the big leagues had I been won the MVP there. So after your your stay with the uh, baseball with the uh, major leagues. What pathway did you go? I know you're 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 teaching and stuff, and you're teaching some of the greats. Um, do we got the picture of Michael Jordan and, and stuff? Tell us about your time working with Michael Jordan. We got a picture of Michael. That's you and Michael right there. What was that like yes. working with him? That's when he, oh, he got looks so young. That's yes, when he came he over from 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 uh, <laughs> baseball, right? He was doing yeah. two sport. What was that yeah. like? No, he actually came that year. I I can't really recall what year it was but the year he played minor league baseball mm-hmm. I was the base ring and outfield instructor for the White Sox and the White Sox organization and spent a lot of time with him because he was an outfielder and he ran the bases so uh, I tell you he was a great guy 
good baseball player, not a, not as good as he was in basketball because he didn't put the time in. But I thought had he um, played baseball as a kid and took it as serious as basketball, he probably would have been a good major league baseball player. Did you share that with him? No, other people did that for him. He, he didn't need me to give him, <laughs> give him any more praises than he got. But uh, there were so many people around him all the time that it was, you know, it was a, a challenge just to get him to work because he was requested so many times for interviews and, and different things that it was um, really difficult to get things done with him. Who were some of the other greats that you that you worked with over the over the years? The work that I worked with, um, I don't know, I worked with uh, Frank Thomas. Well, I like Frank Thomas. The Big Hurt. Sammy Sosa. I like Sammy Sosa. Yeah, those guys with the White Sox organization. That was um, the the uh, the time with the White Sox. But, you know, Todd Helton with the Rockies, Larry Walker. Mm. Um, obviously, Norma Garcia Parra and Manny Ramirez, Pedro Martinez. I was around all those guys. So it was it was a lot of fun being around those guys. So I'm taking all the questions. Jordan, you got anything else? Well, I'm just letting you ride with this. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> so Tell me what drives you. You know, what was it what was the motivating factor that pushed you to where you're where you're at? I mean, cuz like you say coming from Brooklyn, um we're basically brothers. I I grew up around the Brooklyn area. Psych. Um <laughs> we know it was kind of hard growing up in Brooklyn, but what was your driving force? What kept you in beast mode? You know what what one thing that I that I can remember as a kid was uh when we grew up in South Brooklyn, there was a uh, it was a diverse neighborhood. It was blacks, Italians, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. So we all had the propensity to try to be better than each other. So that's what pushed me. We There was a challenge every day, not only in baseball, but basketball, football. So that, that kind of led me to uh, have the attitude that I wanted to be better than everyone and got me to where I was able to sign a professional contract. So that would be my number one uh, thought of what what drove me. How did your bride handle it through all of these avenues? Well, it was tough. It, it, you know, I've been married for 36 years, so she she uh, had to endure some tough times, especially me being away while the kids were grow, growing up, and uh, it was a challenge for her. But she was uh, Teal did a good job in raising my kids. And how many children uh, do you have? Two, two, two. Dallas and uh, Dior, who. Dio lives here. Dallas lives in Georgia, as a matter of fact, in Douglasville. Oh, I know where that so, is. So, yeah, my wife, she's <laughs> done a great job, continues to be a great person, and uh, we're enjoying each other. A little bit more than she probably would want now with baseball not happening. I'm home every day, so I don't know how she's really feeling right now. <laughs> so how, how, how has the impact of the corona and, the, and, the, and the, all the racial tension affected you? in general in your career and moving forward? How are you basically trying to stay positive and move forward? You know what is really sad, I mean, this, as far as baseball, it's uh, obviously a devastating blow to be told that you're not going to have a season. So a lot of people were impacted financially and mentally as well. You know, there's uh, a lot of guys that don't do anything but baseball. And, you know, me being one of them actually at this right. point, I mean, you know, all I do is coach and uh, instruct baseball. But, um it's it's been it's been a challenge, but you know you you think of something to do and you just move on and uh, just try to be the best you can be at it. You know, as far as as far as this stuff, this racial tension, it's really sad. It re- really breaks my heart to see, you know, all the uh, the problems that we're having as a as a nation, and we need to clean it up, whichever way we need to clean it up. Well, it had to be different because that's like you just said, you grew up in a diversified neighborhood, mm-hmm. and 
to see what's going on now has to be like, you know, why can't people just get along and and, and get past all of this uh, nonsense? Um, what was one of your lowest moments that you can remember and share with the viewers, the listening viewers? Well, actually, <laughs> one of my lowest moments was uh, being sent back down to as a coach to uh, coach in the rookie leagues where I was on, I was like advancing to AAA and AAA. Then, you know, they uh, made some changes and sent me all the way back down to the minor league, the lowest level, uh, because of whatever reason, I don't know. But that was one of my lowest levels, you know, lowest points in my life. But, you know, come to think of it, in baseball, there wasn't too many low levels because you had low points in my life because we had so many other uh, good times where it kind of outweighs uh, that baseball stuff. You know, there's so many other problems in life that shouldn't even have me mention that low point. But um, how did I've you bounce back? How did you bounce back from that when that when that struck you? What did you do differently? Well, I didn't do anything different. I worked harder and uh, just did, did what I what I was doing all my life. And um, Buddy Bell called me and told me that he's going to take me as a coach with him to uh, the Colorado Rockies, where I spent three seasons as the first base coach there. So. I went from the lowest point to the highest point in a matter of months. Wow. So, yeah. what, what was it like with the Rockies? Beautiful. I mean, there's no bad place in the big leagues, trust me. Really? Every city you go to, obviously you're going to L.A. and New York and Atlanta and Cincinnati and all the places. So there was no there there were no there were no one star hotels in in, uh, in the big leagues. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did I read right? Did were you do did you do any baseball in Cleveland? I worked for the Indians. My first, actually, you know what? I failed to mention that I my first coaching job was in the Cleveland organization. Okay. Never made it there as a as a big league coach, but I was in the organization in the minor league. That was the yeah. first baseball game I ever attended was in Cleveland, and I guess where they where you sit by the dugouts, mm -hmm. and I was clearly overdressed because I'd never been to a baseball game, and I'm looking at everybody, and I'm like, man, I'm like really overdressed here, and I remember the one thing outside of being overdressed. I was like, damn, that grass sure looks nice. <laughs> I mean, it's like yes. beautifully manicured and stuff. But anyway, um, um, you you have you have two boys, correct? No, boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. Mm -hmm. Have your son shown any interest in pursuing baseball? What are your kids doing? Well, my son's actually 35 now, but he did play a couple years of minor league baseball in the okay. White Sox organization. He uh, obviously followed me around and I tried to take him with me as many times as I can, as much as I could, and he spent a lot of time on the field, and he was good enough to get to the minor leagues, but not uh, not talented enough to, to get past A-ball. So, How hard is it to actually make the transition, and what, as a coach, what do you look for in, in players to, um, to get to the next level? How do you evaluate with you know, so many? I, I haven't been in that position to have to evaluate a guy to, to say whether he's going to go to the next level or anything. I just work with him in, uh, in my area, which was hitting and base running and outfield play. I just worked with him until they felt that they didn't want to work anymore. And and, and I, I said, I did my part to help you. Now, the rest is up to you. Obviously, you can't swing for him. You can't run for him. So it's up to them to, to you know, get as far as they want to get with the work that they put in. Is there some type of trait that people need to learn, baseball guys? If you had to give advice to someone that's coming up, in the baseball and they want to pursue that career, what kind of advice would you give them? What steps would you have them take to prepare for the transition or to even get considered going into the next level? 
Well, I tell I tell every player, just try to be better than the next guy. So you see a guy that you like, you say he's a pretty good player. Can you be better than him? What do you need to do to to get to that level? And, and that's when the work has to begin. You have mm-hmm. to think that there's someone always better than you because you'll keep working. If you think that you're the best, then you're not going to get anywhere. Who was the most powerful baseball player you've ever came in contact with during your times of playing? Well, Eddie Murray was probably uh, the one of the greatest hitters I've seen up close playing with him in Baltimore. He's uh, obviously a Hall of Famer now and uh, a switch hitting first baseman. But, you know, in the uh, major leagues, there's so many guys, it's really hard to, to say that. I mean, uh, really? they say who the, who's the greatest player. You, I can name ten guys and say that they were the greatest players. So it's it's really hard to, to pick out one guy. Your favorites you can, but the best – that's hard to that's hard to say. What makes Sammy Salsa and the Big Hurt and those guys different in your opinion? What made them so unique about the game? Well, first of all, they were just extremely talented. Okay, both of them, you know, and Mark McGuire and Canseco and you know Gita. Those guys were talented, and they had the ability to play, and you know, got the opportunity to play professional baseball. Where you know, you have a lot of guys that don't get the chance because they might be in an area where they're not scouted. There's a lot of guys that I know that, man, this guy should have played professional baseball. But Have you ran into was, people like that, somebody in particular, that oh, you yeah. was like, wow, and what did you do? to to? Did you help them advance, or you just was like, what's the procedure when you see somebody that's got that kind of talent? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, <coughs> Juan Pierre was uh, an outfielder in the Colorado organization who uh, nobody thought, thought of. Um, they thought too much of him, a little skinny uh left-handed outfielder who just outworked everyone every day. He was the first one at the ballpark, last one to leave, ended up getting 12, 13 years in the major leagues and made a good future for himself as far as retirement. So, you know, there's not one step that you tell a guy to take. You just say, hey, go through the game of baseball just like you're going through life. If you want to be as good as you can be, then you're going to work your butt off to get there. When you're out in public, do people recognize who you are? Only in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Why Mexico? <laughs> well, I mean, Mexico, they, they, they just eat and, eat and breathe baseball. But uh, I coached in Taiwan, managed in Taiwan, and it was um, it was pretty, pretty. Uh, Heck, every time I'm, I'm texting there. you, you're in, you're, in, you're in Taiwan. Yeah, it was in Taiwan. And, um, you know, they, they're baseball fanatics as well. But uh, here in the States, not so much. I mean, uh, you know, especially with my beard now, no one notices me. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing now? Well, I was actually in Mexico. I'm doing right now. I'm doing actually actually nothing. I'm helping my wife in the yard. That's you know, nice. I, become, I become a, a green thumb type of guy. So, you know, I'm, I'm planting some uh, trees and and some flowers and uh, just doing the honeydews around the house. That's about it. That sounds great. Yeah. I need one of those. Well, I don't know about great, but it's uh, it's making her happy. So I guess I can't complain. When you're in Taiwan, I remember um, a lot of times when we're texting back and forth on t- to social media, you're either like, Dre, I'm in Mexico, I'm in Taiwan. Is that because that's where the bulk of your business as a baseball person now, where you're at, is, is centered around? Because naturally, I guess baseball is really big uh, in, in those areas versus the United States. So is there more opportunities for you there? Or you just decided that's where you need to be during your tr- during this part of transition. Well, you know, every coach that that coached or played in the United States wants to be here, and 
the opportunities wasn't there what wasn't there for me at the at that particular time and I got a call from a guy who uh did some recruiting for the people in Taiwan and asked me would I be interested in going over there and coaching. I thought it would be a one year thing and turn into a five year thing. So wow. I mean I I got the I got the opportunity to go there and it was a great experience. My my wife got to go with me, my daughter came over and um it was something that I'm glad I did. So what was the great experience over there that you encountered outside of the people? Well, learning how to uh, dive for lobster. There you go. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, um, they, they're, they're very interesting people. They're, they're, uh, they're very regimental. Okay. And, you know, you see them doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, they were interested in my life just as much as I was interested in theirs. So struck up some pretty good conversations with the ones that, that spoke English. So it was very interesting. Can you speak a different did, language? Did you pick up any Thai? That was the toughest thing to do. I, I, I couldn't. <laughs> just a co- couple of words like, you know, ni hao, hello, and, you know, konnichiwa, good morning, and all that stuff. But as far as the, the, the dialogue, tough. So I, I I stopped after the first week or so. I said, I'm not going to do this. So, so how do you <laughs> how do you communicate? You just write or something? You no, have a we, had a, we had a translator with me 24 hours. What was he going to write? Like draw figurines and things? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got to be able to talk. I mean, you know, where's the nearest restaurant? Well, where's if he McDonald's? can't speak it, he doesn't know how to write it. Yeah, I tell you what, writing it is even wor- worse than speaking it. You know, there's little... <laughs> The little hieroglyphic. Uh, I'm sure you just carried around Pictionary with you everywhere you went. <laughs> so <laughs> you translate. So you had a translator with you all the time. What was that like? Well, I mean, actually, he was. It was okay. Uh, you know, sometimes you wanted to be away from everybody, and that's when you went in your room. And you know, in, in uh, Taiwan and in um, uh, Korea, you know, you live in a dorm with your team, so they're around you all the time. So it was no problem communicating. And how did your wife like you that? She didn't. I wouldn't either. No, she didn't. We did well when we stayed in. Uh, <laughs> when we went on the road, we stayed in a hotel, so Good. she got a chance to get away. And uh, I think it would have been smelly, yeah. like all the guys. Just it's yeah. baseball. They kept it pretty clean. They kept it pretty clean. So, oh yeah. goodness, never seen a baseball guy with a dirty uniform except for when it's raining outside. <laughs> so, so out of the baseball world, you had to name three of your most favorite players. What would they be? They'd be Willie Mays. Mickey Mantle, and probably Derek Jeter. You left somebody out. Andre the Beast Crane. Thank you. Okay. That's number four. <laughs> you play baseball? Yeah, I played baseball. I was a like when? I was a Cy Young winner, a nominee. Really? Yeah, for the Indianapolis uh, uh, Indians. Right. <laughs> Do you even know how to swing a bat? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was a great outfielder. Uh, really? At one point in my life, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least I'm considered one of the top four, you know, on his list, and that's what matters. <laughs> so, Dallas, my question to you before we wrap up is: if um, you had to leave a message to motivate the people that are listening to this podcast right now, naturally, you had a great journey through the baseball. Uh, with your baseball career and we're going through a lot and this show is about inspiring and motivating people and and taking the canes and turn them into the cans which you have done what would you say to the viewers to get them back in the beast mode to keep going through this series of turmoil I say never say that you can't always say that you can and you will because if you say you can't 
you're already one step behind. You know, I, I, I always tell my kids, even with the kids that I've instructed, you know, through the years at my uh, legacy baseball comp- uh, uh, place that, you know what, if you don't think that you can be better than anybody in the world, then you shouldn't be in here. So you got to think that you can and you will. Tell me real quick before we leave, tell me about your your your, your legacy baseball thing, what you did for the kids. Because when, when we first met years ago, I, I watched you do that. Tell me about that, and then tell me about maybe one of the kids or several kids that, that with your knowledge that you have seen advance and move forward in their career thanks to your teaching. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, Le- Legacy Baseball is a company that I started uh, after I left the sport zone in Indianapolis um, teaching baseball over there. I opened up my own place and stayed there from 2010 until I left to go to Taiwan. Then obviously I had to shut it down because I didn't have the time. But um, it, it gave me the chance to give back to the kids, you know, and, and uh, give them all I could to make them a better player. But uh, one kid I have in, in mind uh, that that pro- progressed um, through uh, the baseball world is named Aubrey Major. He's from Indianapolis. And he's going to Arizona now. He's going to be a pretty good player. So he's, uh, you know, but there's so many. Uh, Dylan Peters, who pitched in the big leagues, hit with me before, and Conrad Gregor, a couple of guys that played minor league baseball. So there's a whole uh, Tucker Barnhart, who I spent some time with, who's a catcher for the Cincinnati Reds now. So um, there's been uh, some guys that, you know, that um, got a chance to play college baseball and and um, lead the path to other things in, in their life because of, of uh, working with me and, you know, I enjoyed it just as much as they did. Do you plan on restructuring the the uh, the uh, the the uh, training facility if the coronavirus and things change? Because I'm pretty sure the listening viewers would love to have their kids under your tutelage. You know what? Um, I, I I gave up the place on uh, 96th Street uh, because I didn't, you know, I didn't um, have a need for it at that point. But uh, I do private lessons. People call me once in a while and. Uh, and uh, email me and and let me know that they that their kid needs some lessons and and I try to do it like that. Obviously, the the facility is going to be a challenge to find place, but you know if there's a will, there's a way. And if they want to find some place, I can help them. So, how can the viewers reach you if they need your assistance? How, how can we sh- share that information? My email is Dallas Will D A L L A S W I L at gmail dot com. Just drop me an email and uh, I'll give you a call and we'll see if we can make something happen. That sounds great. You got any questions for, for, for the great Dallas Williams? You know, one thing I got to say, you know, you talked about being in the Hall of Fame. I am in the Hall of Fame. See? Bam! Okay, but it's for being and playing in the longest game in history. And what's that? Oh, wow. 33 innings. Oh, my. Yeah, 33 yeah. innings. That's yeah. Who was that against? baseball. It was against the uh, Pawtucket Red Sox. It was AAA in the International League. And the reason why I'm in the Hall of Fame is because I was actually 0 for 13 in that game. I wow. thought I was the only one that ever went 0 for 13. I wish you would. That means I wouldn't get so much uh, so much information and so much uh, crap about it. But, yeah, I, put, I was in the longest game in history. Wow. Uh, and, you know, Cal Ripken played that game. Wade Boggs, uh, Bruce Hurst, a host of big league players played in that game. Wow. So and that put you in the Hall of Fame. I'm, yeah. I'm, That's exciting. So, uh, I'm, I'm awesome. infamous. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm like thrilled now. I mean, I thought it was just going to be a podcast with Dallas Williams. Okay, now it's a Hall of Famer. All right. Well, thank you, Dallas, for showing up. Please, viewers, reach out to Dallas. He's definitely a motivator. He definitely knows how to st- use the word beast and play it forward. Um, 
Um, thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'd like to thank my host, Jordan, once again for keeping me in line. And you didn't ask a lot of questions. You sure there's not one more it's question the, you want to ask? You were just a blabbermouth this time. She asked a couple of questions. I asked a few, like when you ever took a breath, I like got in there real quick. So I was just, I was being patient. Okay, with that said, thank you for tuning in to this segment. Thanks, Dallas, for showing up. And tune in again for the next episode of the Andre the Beast Show.